Hey, this is John at pureandsimplebible.com. So thankful that once again you're with me. And here we are at the last of these episodes where I'm recording it from Cambodia on phones and on handheld recording devices here where I don't have a lot of ability to check it out before it's recording. So I'm, you know, a little bit nervous with all of these recordings without a lot of ability to check back on the audio quality of it. But I'm thankful for your presence, for your patience as we go through these. And we're wrapping up an excellent study on the high cost of discipleship. We've looked at things that we're going to have to consider past priorities that we're giving up. But now we're going to look at a couple other things in the present and in the future as well. Let's get back into a great conversation with Wesley Hubbard. What is it that you are trying to accomplish? God will give you the tools in order to spread the gospel. He will make you effective. He will make you useful in any place, in any situation, whether you live in a village in Cambodia or you live in the middle of New York City, you know, you can be an effective tool for Christ and he will use the people, he will use the stuff, and he will use you to accomplish his will. What a great ending to the first main point. I'd like to maybe move on to the second one. but it's a very powerful point. So I want to just remind our listeners that in order to become his disciple, Jesus is demanding first an abandonment of past priorities. But now we're looking more at the present or the, the current state. And uh, you, you have in your notes here that discipleship demands an appraisal of your current state. And, and maybe can you explain what that means and, and uh, what scriptures do you have that go along with that? So, yeah, so he's going on to say, you know, you need to recognize where you are at this point in time in in your life. You want to come to Christ, you want to be a Christian, just as the rich young ruler came and said, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, let's talk about sin. He said, I don't have any. Jesus essentially asked, who's in charge in your life? Uh, And essentially what he said was not you. And so, you know, that was the end of of the discussion. You have to make a commitment to Christ. And and Jesus illustrates this in verse 28. He says, which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. You know, we have to understand where are we now and can I finish? And so uh, that's an important uh, point that he's trying to to make to to these people here. I think about the new Christian who has just a fire of evangelism or the zeal is really strong, but the expectations are also sky high. And when the expectations aren't met, there's that sudden plummet of reality that I just... I can't seem to get it right. I've gone through that. I know others who've gone through that. Sadly, I've known people who have ended up leaving the faith because the reality didn't match the expectation. And and when they couldn't live up to it, they thought that they just simply weren't good enough. Maybe you could spend some time talking about that idea of finishing. I know there's some, maybe some wordplay here that uh, 
will, it'll unlock our understanding. But what does it mean to finish that race or finish the fight, finish the faith that we have in Jesus? Basically, it's saying, you know, you need to be able to recognize, do you have the ability to put those things off, to deny all the things that we just talked about, to finish the race? Can you finish the tower? Because if you start it, and it's and you you recognize that you can't make the commitments that you have promised that you were going to make. He's saying then then there's no point in even coming. You know, in m- many ways there was some there. It's kind of weird to say there may even be some wisdom in the rich young ru- ruler, in that he recognized that he couldn't make the commitment. Now that's sad. Uh, but Jesus here is saying that if if you can't come all the way. If you can't finish, that word telo means to finish, and you add the ek to it, means to really finish. Jesus used a a similar word on the cross when he says it is finished. It's saying the very, very end. If you can't finish it, if you can't do it, then there's no reason to even start. You need to to make sure that if you're going to come to me, that you're going to come to me fully. What I'm hearing from you about this, about if you, you can't finish it, not start it. You know, we're not wanting to close the doors on people who are visiting or, or give them some sort of a pop quiz. Are you going to be able to finish it before we dunk you in the water? But we are challenging people to come to Jesus beyond an emotional level, which I think in modern uh, Christendom, the emotional call is really the strongest appeal that a lot of uh, leaders or teachers or pastors are making they're trying to appeal to the masses on an emotional level whereas Jesus is looking beyond that can you maybe explain why coming on an emotional level would be so ineffective yeah because too often people will you know they have a difficulty in their life they're having something they're having trouble with some hurdle that they need to overcome and so uh, the world will try to explain to them that that Jesus that coming to Jesus will assist them in that and that's true that is one of the blessings of being a, a Christian is that is that we have a Lord and Savior who sympathizes with us and wants to help us but too often when people are coming in these distressed times what they're looking for is the sky hook they're looking for something to just pull them out of the situation that they're in and plant them somewhere else. Uh, And when they come to know Christ on that level, their faith is not rooted in the truth. It's rooted in an emotional response. And so they don't have the ability to endure the difficult times because often when the Lord helps us in difficult times, just, just just as Paul said, you know, he prayed three times that the thorn would be removed, but God said, my faith or my grace is sufficient for you. He didn't remove the thorn, but he poured on the grace. And the world is looking for someone to remove the thorn. And when we come on an emotional level, when we don't come in spirit and in truth and recognize that the Christian life is, is in fact, a difficult life, uh, we get discouraged, and a lot of people can't finish, and that's that's really one of the biggest. You want to follow Christ. I think you're you're opening my eyes to it, and hopefully to others as well. Just how 
much how high this cost is, but this is just one example. You know, he talks about a tower that's half built, but he goes on in the scripture to uh, give a second lesson within a lesson. So he, he himself is giving an example within his lesson that we are studying. Can you help me understand this king and his uh, struggle in verse 33? Yeah, so we have a king who uh, is about to go to war. And he's trying to, he's having to make a, a, a decision. You know, if he's going to set out to meet this other, other king, uh, who's, is he going to be strong with 10,000 men to go against this uh, other king with 20,000 men? Uh, and the dilemma that he has, uh, he really has no control over this. See, in the first one, we see that it was the man that was going to build the tower. You know, he had complete control in that s- situation. He chose to move forward. Well, this, the second one, uh, really this king doesn't have any con- con- control over what is about to come over him. And he's having to make decisions based on, on you know, what he has and what is going to inevitably ha- ha- happen. So he sits down and tries to assess whether his strategy is, uh, is good enough, if he's, if he's armed well enough, if he has enough experience and knowledge and uh, in order to win the battle so that he doesn't expose himself and his men to, to a certain death. So this, this example is one of two in this section about an appraisal of, current, of your current state. And uh, so not only are we looking to abandon our past priorities, but we're to uh, appraise our current state. And, and you have this multifaceted step back that you talk about in your notes. You have to step back, kind of like they did, step back and consider the tower, step back and consider, can you defeat this other army? Um, can you maybe take a moment to talk about that step back that we have to do in our lives? Yeah, we have to, we have to understand that, uh, you know, it's, it's great whenever somebody has chosen after, you know, after some, uh, some study uh, to become a Christian, uh, and it's an, it's awesome, and I'm I'm excited to see it, and I'm excited for them. But they really truly need to understand. They need to take that step back and recognize, because that's what Jesus here is calling for. He's saying, if you're going to come to me, this is what's going to be re- required. And so I think oftentimes, as evangelists, uh, or as anybody who is who is evangelizing to others. Uh, who express an interest, who express that they want to become a Christian, this is something that they need to understand. We too often get so excited and so ready to, to you know, throw them in the water. But, uh, but really, they need to understand that, that this is the beginning of a completely new life. And Jesus is essentially saying, take a step back. Be like the man who evaluated whether he could finish the tower. Be like the king who evaluated whether he could actually win the battle. You know, we need to understand that these, that these, uh, this, the, the self, the call for denying self and the call for denying others and really putting on Christ on our lives, not just tacking it on to, to portions of our life, but really having it as a consuming force in us. He's saying, you need to be sure that you are willing to do this. Think about it. You know, it, it is, I would not 
in any way think that it would be wrong to tell someone who's excited about becoming a Christian, like, let's take a step back for just a moment and let's make sure that you're not coming on this emotional level. Let's make sure that you're not just looking for this sky hook, but you're really looking for a life-altering change in your, in, in your world, in your life, and it will never be the same afterward. There's examples in the book of Acts that you know people after a sermon are, are sometimes uh, pricked in the heart and, and obey the gospel. And we feel like maybe it's all or nothing in our personal evangelism. If they're not ready to go after the first one, then we failed. But I've found that the most effective disciples that I have interacted with and had the privilege to either baptize or help lead to Christ have been ones that took the time to count the cost and were not the ones that jumped in the water after the first study. Is it possible? Absolutely. I do believe because it happens in the Bible. There were people who did it. But uh, I agree with your conclusion that the purpose of bringing people to Christ is to make disciples not to get them wet. And if we're in a hurry to baptize and people don't know or they have not counted the cost, we're not heeding the words of our teacher, our master teacher in this. Let me think about this with you. Becoming a disciple demands abandonment of past priority. It demands an appraisal of your current state. But you, in your final point, look into the future. You say that discipleship actually looks in the future. It's not only about where you've been or what you are presently doing, but it's also about things that are coming up. Help me understand what you're talking about there. Well, here Jesus uses the illustration of, of salt in verse 34. He says, therefore, salt is good, but if any, if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown, thrown out. So here he uses this illustration to, to tell us to look to the future. Uh, salt has value in our world. Its usefulness uh, is, is seen throughout all cult cultures, not just in flavor, but in how it preserves things. And, and so he's saying that, that we are salt, that as Christians, we are salt and we have value. But he's saying there may come a time where salt can lose its tastefulness. So you started off salty. You started off uh, as being something of value, being something uh, useful. But if you lose that usefulness, you're good for nothing and you're thrown out, is what he's saying. Before you make your point, I'll interject maybe a, an example that will be meaningful to our modern day audience. When you buy a gallon of milk, you've got an expiration date. And you know what? You can go a day or two afterwards. But you can't go too much farther than that. The milk will lose its milkiness, <laughs> so to speak. Um, salt in the Bible times, my understanding is that it was not as pure as the salt that we have now. So the, the way that they refined it, obviously we've we're been working on it for 2,000 years since then. And so the salt in your shaker is not going to go bad the way salt would back then. It had more uh, earthen particles and gypsum and all that stuff. So when they bought it, they knew it had a shelf life in ways that we take, we, we, we don't 
take advantage of that or appreciate it as much today because our salt can last a little bit longer. But it's the perfect example, the same way we look at milk. They looked at salt. It had an expiration date. You use it while you have it before you lose it. That's right. And so he's indicating here that, that if you, your salt, you start off as valuable and useful to be able to preserve and to be able to flavor. And, and, and the imagery there, we could go on and on about, about us being salt. Uh, but if it starts to lose its usefulness, if it starts to lose its preserving abilities, its ability to flavor, its ability to do what it was designed to do, he says it's worthless. And what a, what a, again, what extreme language here. Because if we are the salt of the earth, if we are the salt that he's talking about, and he's saying that we lose our saltiness, then we're worthless. This is a subordinate point to that third main idea that discipleship looks into the future and then you discuss the concept of salt and so I'm wanting you maybe to weave back in this how does the example of salt and salt losing its flavor go along with me having a mindset to the future oh it's 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 to keep yourself uh, it's to recognize that you have the potential to lose your flavor recognizing that uh, that you can become t- tasteless and so he's he's indicating not not only do you look at the past look at the present but on into the future you know we need to be working and staying faithful and being the best child of god that we can be so that we can continue to be that preserving uh, that preservative for the world, that we continue to be that flavor for the world to make, uh, to keep ourselves useful and to keep the gospel moving forward. Those of us who live in the northern part of the hemisphere would have an additional use of salt that I think is uh, beneficial to this analogy. Salt is also a thawing agent. It thaws the ice whenever, you know, it melt. Maybe in Texas we don't get it as often, but farther north, you know, people putting salt out on the road melts the ice. And we also could say that we are thawing the hearts of those who would be non-receptive. But if the salt loses its ability to thaw, then what purpose is it to make a difference in the hearts of men? I think this is a great next step to one that you previously made to step back and look at your current state. In the moment when you have that lucidity to consider your ways presently, it's natural then to look out into the future. Because if you're going to reprioritize your relationships, yourself, and your possessions, step back in your ability to do it, the, the natural next step is, could I finish? And uh, so I think these go hand in hand. Jesus ends, the, uh, I'm looking at verse 35. It's the the final scripture in this section where Jesus is talking about discipleship. And he says, he who has ears, let him hear. And I'm wondering if maybe you have some final thoughts based on this final thought that Jesus gave in his sermon. He's basically saying if, if, you know, essentially, if you're there, if you're listening, if you're hearing what he's saying, then you need to embrace it and you need to apply it. 
and you need to go from just hearing to doing. Uh, and so he's, he's essentially saying, if you hear this and understand it, do it. You know, don't, don't sit idly by and let the gospel and let salvation and let, you know, all the things that are important in this life pass you by. Uh, if you have the ears to hear and you can understand it, embrace it, because the day will come when you cannot hear. The day will come when he is no longer calling us to sal salvation. Well, brother, thank you so much for this time. Uh, I'm glad we've been able to fill it in this coffee shop, and I hope that the ambient noise around us only adds to the flavor for those who are listening. Uh, are there any final words? Uh, anything you'd like to say? Uh, just again, don't let this don't let this discourage you as potentially a new con convert or someone who's who's con contemplating becoming a, a Christian. Uh, this shouldn't discourage you, but it really should be an encouragement that when we give up ourselves and put on Christ, we are putting on a life of of joy, of hope, of endurance, of perseverance. You know, we are able to make it through this dog-eat-dog -dog world uh, because we have Him. There will be difficulties. There will be struggles. Uh, but when we submit completely to Him, life is, is that much better. Life is that much easier because we can endure. Amen, amen. Well, thank you, brother, very much. I look forward to hearing you present this to some of our preaching brethren here in Cambodia later this in this trip. And uh, Lord willing, those who get to hear this podcast will be able to enjoy that same refreshing of the scripture in Luke 14. God bless you. Well, that's all for this episode. And we're so thankful for you and for your subscription. If you haven't subscribed yet, you can go to the website. You can find all of the places where you can download this podcast to your device absolutely free and you'll get it every week. While you're there, check out the different resources we have, the videos, the study books, the correspondence course. There's a lot of ways that you can share the gospel with others and grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ yourself. Until next time, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.